Chapter 4 of The Life of Jesse Harding Pomeroy by E. Luscombe Haskell. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Chapter 4 The Trial of Pomeroy for the Willful Murder of the Little Millen Boy. On Tuesday, December 12, 1874, Pomeroy was placed at the bar of the Supreme Judicial Court of Massachusetts to be tried for his life. The clerk of the court read the indictment, charging him with the murder of the Millen boy. Pomeroy pleaded not guilty. Joseph H. Cotton, Esquire, at present Associate Justice of the Municipal Court for the Charlestown District, had been counsel for the defense. When the case came to trial, it was conducted by Honorable Charles Robinson, Jr., whose efforts in behalf of his client were characteristic of the able lawyer. He devoted his best energies to save Pomeroy from an ignominious death upon the scaffold. The trial excited more than ordinary interest even in murder cases. The courtroom was crowded from day to day, and the testimony was carefully noted. After a jury had been selected, District Attorney May delivered an opening argument as follows. May it please the court and you, gentlemen of the jury, the prisoner at the bar, Jesse Harding Pomeroy, stands indicted, as you have just heard, for the murder of Horace H. Millen. Murder, gentlemen, according to the definition which formerly prevailed, was an intentional killing of a fellow being. Malice aforethought was and is the first element in murder. But as the experience of men became enlarged, and perhaps the spirit of Christianity modified somewhat by the civilization of the times, it was found that there were degrees of depravity even in murder itself. Formerly the killing of a man intentionally was considered even in its least aggravated form as justly forfeiting the right of the murderer to live. But a more humane view has been taken of that, and the law, now, both in this state and in most other civilized communities, has established certain grades even in the crime of murder. It is obvious, gentlemen, that the man who goes deliberately above the murder of his fellow man for gain, for instance, and uses violent means, discovers a more deliberate malice than the man who, in a passion, suddenly, though unintentionally, kills his fellow man, after more or less provocation. In this state, gentlemen, the law has defined murder to be of two degrees. Murder committed with deliberately premeditated malice aforethought, or in the commission or attempt to commit any crime punishable with death, or imprisonment for life, or committed with extreme atrocity or cruelty, is murder in the first degree. Murder not appearing to be in the first degree is murder in the second degree. The degree of murder shall be found by the jury. According to the view, gentlemen, which the Commonwealth takes of the evidence in this case, it will not be necessary for me to detain you a moment with any observations upon the law of homicide under circumstances which reduce the grade below that of murder. 
The facts in this case, gentlemen, are briefly that on the second day of April last, the body of a boy, an infant I might call him, four years and three months old, three months and a few days, was found upon the marsh that lies intervening between the promontory of Savin Hill in Dorchester. It is in what is known by those who have lived in that section of the city as the Cow Pasture, a large tract of marshland lying east of the old Colony Railroad and Dorchester Avenue, and stretching away nearly east for a mile to the water. About halfway down that marsh, about two thousand feet in a straight line from Crescent Avenue Station on the old Colony Railroad, and but a few feet from the water's edge, the body of this little boy was found, while it was yet still warm, with the throat cut, some fifteen or twenty stabs in the region of the heart, and mutilated. The little boy's hands were also wounded, more or less, there were marks of wounds upon his arms, suggesting, perhaps, the possibility of feeble struggles to resist. This body was found by another boy, who had been down there, I think, clamming with his brother, and it was found about three o'clock, if I remember right. Upon discovering this body, the little boy, Powers, looked away up the marsh towards the railroad and saw two men, one of whom had a gun. He immediately went to that man, told him what he had found, and requested him to go with him to the place. That man, accompanied by his friend who was with him, he had been out shooting at a mark within a very short time there, then accompanied him to the spot, and there found what I have already described. He dispatched messengers hither and thither for police officers, and remained there until the police officers came. After the police officers came, the body was taken to the Crescent Avenue station, off the marsh, then to police station 9 in Roxbury, and thence to the undertakers. After an inquest had been held, the body was returned to the parents, who meanwhile had been found. The parents of this boy, Millen, had not resided long in South Boston, but a few days, I think, certainly but a few weeks. On the morning of the day when this boy disappeared, he was at play in the neighborhood of his father's, about the steps. There was, I think, a flight of steps on the corner of 8th Street and Dorchester Avenue, where children were accustomed to go, and he was seen about the steps. The last that his mother saw of him was about half-past ten o'clock. She was, I believe, engaged that day in washing, or was quite busy. He had been out to play, and would occasionally run up to the house to speak to his mother, and then run off. The last time she saw him was about half-past ten o'clock, when she gave him a penny to go to the baker's and buy him a cake. He was seen afterwards between half-past ten o'clock and half-past eleven. There will be amongst the witnesses some discrepancy as to the time, because the time was not noticed then, there being no occasion to notice it carefully. But from half-past ten to half-past eleven o'clock he was seen in that neighborhood by several people accompanied by a larger boy, 
whom the government expect the evidence will satisfy you was the defendant at the bar. Subsequently to that time, they were seen together on the old colony railroad from a quarter to half a mile distant from this boy's house, the Millen boy's house, going towards McKay's wharf, which lies just at the edge of this cow pasture or marsh. That was not far from twelve o'clock, and not far also from twelve o'clock, the two were seen together, apparently having gone down on McKay's wharf, crossed a bridge, which leads from that over the creek to the boathouse, which is upon the shore, and jumped off from this bridge onto the marsh. Having jumped off from this bridge upon the marsh, they proceeded down till they came to a creek, which they passed, or went around, I am not certain which. Then they came to a ditch, when the Pomeroy boy lifted the millen boy over. At this creek, they were met by another boy who was coming off, who had been down where they were digging clams, and was coming off the marsh. Then it was not five minutes from twelve o'clock, just after twelve o'clock. The Pomeroy boy spoke to this boy who was coming off, and inquired what the men were shooting down on the marsh. He received a reply, and then went on with the millen boy, leading him by the left hand. As I have said just now, when they came to the ditch, he was seen to lift the millen boy over and set him down. Then they proceeded, side by side, down the marsh. He was not seen again by that witness. It will be shown to you, gentlemen, that the tracks which were made both by the millen boy and by the Pomeroy boy, when they jumped from the bridge onto the marsh, correspond exactly to the boots worn by the respective boys. The body was found some fifty feet, I think, across the creek, halfway down the marsh, on the south Boston side. There were about there many footsteps, because diverse parties had visited the scene, four men and some boys certainly, perhaps five, before any particular examination was made. Upon a careful examination, it was found that at the nearest practicable point of crossing that creek, on returning towards Boston, there were footsteps. We shall show you that similar tracks were found from that point leading towards the point where the body was found, here and there, of course, there being a difference in the impression made according to the varying hardness or softness of the marsh, and according as it was covered with sand or covered with grass, as it was in different places. There were plain indications of two sets of tracks, large ones and small ones, having the same relations to each other, that is, the small ones were on the left side of the larger, and at diverse points corresponding exactly with the boots which were worn by the respective boys. There were footsteps corresponding exactly upon application being made with the boots which were worn by the Pomeroy boy, and from point to point along the curve of the marsh these tracks could be traced until, forced by another creek he passed around it and crossed the tracks by which he went down to the place where the body was found. We shall show you, gentlemen, that a boy corresponding in size and appearance and in dress, so far as those were observed, 
was seen about one o'clock running off the marsh in the direction which those footprints indicate towards the old colony railroad and frequently looking behind as if pursued the pomeroy boy resided in south boston on broadway not far from the place where the millen family resided these are the main facts gentlemen which the commonwealth will produce to you upon this line of the prosecution the commonwealth will also introduce to you another and a distinct species of evidence that is confession and they have been somewhat embarrassed in determining whether they would not rely upon the confession alone without going into the details of a murder attended by such atrocity but upon the whole it was thought the prudent and the better course to present to you substantially everything that was known by the commonwealth about the matter and it is with that view that i have detailed to you the evidence which the commonwealth believes will satisfy you that horace h millen was murdered by jesse harding pomeroy you will now see gentlemen the reason why i did not feel it my duty to address you at all upon the grade of homicide less than murder the commonwealth cannot conceive that there can be any doubt that whatever else may be thought about this transaction there can be no doubt that it was a murder with deliberately premeditated malice aforethought and that it was a murder attended by such circumstances of atrocity and cruelty as to bring it unquestionably within the definition of the statute constituting murder in the first degree my duty gentlemen is substantially performed having thus stated to you the facts which the commonwealth expect to prove and the law upon which they rest their case i know gentlemen that i need not say that you occupy a responsible position i know i need not say to you that the safety and the stability of society practically rests in your hands every one of us has yielded his right of personal and private vengeance to the society which has taken that right in trust and which has promised to protect all from the unlawful acts of such members of society as may not be restrained and controlled by law and it is because that right has been yielded that we live in a community where life and property are regarded as safe since the tribunals have been of such a character that they have discharged fearlessly their duty in the protection of the public i shall not gentlemen take up your time with any other observations the commonwealth has no interest in stimulating you to do anything which is not necessary for the public safety the commonwealth can have no possible object in the conviction of an innocent person but the commonwealth represented here by its prosecuting officers is bound to carry out in good faith for the protection of the innocent and the law-abiding the trust which is imposed upon them and which they have accepted of protecting those who have yielded their own right of self-defense End of chapter 4